Well, if you have not recognized, I've kind of been digging through the archives a little bit this week. And I found this song and I'm really excited to sing it with you guys. But we're like, we're going back to where there's a girl part and a guy part. Okay. And the first part of it's going to be an echo. So I hope it doesn't throw you off too much that Mara has volunteered to lead the guy part. So, <laughs> so here we go. I'm, I'm so excited. Let's praise the Lord. He is good. He's worthy of praise today, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Amen.
you for your kindness. Uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. I applaud you for your uh, faithfulness and my, your involvement and openness and uh, your toleration of me. My wife appreciates it as well. <laughs> uh, I'd like to uh, pray with you if I could. Uh, Lord, we've fallen in love with these people and this place and what you're doing here and we're just so honored to be a part of it and your pastor and his wife and the ministry staff and sharing together and I go away uh, blessed. You have blessed me through them and I honor you tonight for all you've been doing in my life even this week. I pray for tonight and a movement of the Spirit of God and for an awakening in the inner heart of each one of us as we uh, move into this passage. And Lord, we admit we need your guidance. Uh, what's going on is bigger than what we know. And there are aspects of what's taking place. And we have no idea uh, the extent of all that would be found in this passage and what you intend for our lives. So we can only do one thing, and that is commit it to you and ask you to, in the foolishness of preaching, somehow manifest yourself in our minds and our hearts and allow us to see and know what may not even come from some babbling evangelist, but would come from your heart to our heart, and we would know. So communicate to us tonight, myself included, we pray thee. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, which is the second illustration. And one of the things that happens in the premise of the Sermon on the Mount is that there it becomes no question at all due to the premise of what the purpose of your life is. In other words, the purpose of your creation, the destiny that God has placed in your heart and life. If you come as, for instance, a young person and say, what is the will of God for my life? Uh, there's no problem in telling you what the will of God is for your life. Well, what does he want me to do? There's no problem in telling you what he wants to accomplish in and through your life because it's all in the premise. You were created by God to tell the truth about God. I don't know if you've ever wondered about, hey, you go into a store, a filling station store, and you just swipe a pack of gum, and hey, you don't think anything about it, you stick it in your pocket. Why would God get so bent out of shape about that? I mean, God just gets all upset, and he bothers you, and he convicts you of sin, and all over some pack of gum like it's some, it's nothing off of him, man. I mean, he isn't out anything. Come on. Doesn't lessen his streets of gold. What, what, what's it, what's, why does it bother him? God says, I'll tell you why it bothers me. Because I created you to tell the truth about me. And you just said, I'm a, I'm a thief. And I'm not a thief. And I can't have you going around telling people that I am one. Well, when I hate, why does God get so upset about hatred coming out of my life and division among us and we don't talk to each other and we despise each other? Why does God get so upset about that? Why does that just kill the very movement of his spirit? It's because God said, I built you to tell the truth about me and you're saying I'm a liar and you're saying I'm a, I'm a cheat and you're saying I hate and you say I, I, I won't talk to people and you say I wipe my hands of you and, and you, you say that and, and I'm not that way and I just can't have you going around telling people I am that way. I know that theologically it's probably not correct to say that God had a, has a problem but can you imagine a God who created an entire physical world 
And when he got done with it, he is invisible. And here's a visible world, and he's invisible. And the visible world cannot experience or see the invisible God himself. And God said, I want to demonstrate myself to this, this, this visible physical world. And how did he do that? He built a man, he created a man and a woman and, and put them in the garden and filled them with himself. And who are they? They are the demonstration of the very essence of the God who is the creator of all things. And when we look at Jesus, the scripture tells us again and again and again that he is the visible image of the invisible father. And he's the prototype of this whole thing. So if that was true about him, oh, folks, that's true about us. I'm the visible image of the invisible God. And I just go around and live in my community. The purpose of my very destiny, the essence of my very life, the, 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 the idea of why I'm here and, and the flow of everything that I'm about is to do what? Not do big feats, not do miracles, not do, wow, I'm just going to go around and just demonstrate God. I'm the platform upon which God is acting out who he is. So nobody in my community should have any questions about who Jesus is because they see me. I live there. They know Jesus loves them. Why? Because I love them. And I am the demonstration. See, that's the merger that he's talking about in the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. That somehow in my helplessness, oh, he and his great resource would literally come and merge with me, and he and I together would become this new creature who would demonstrate the very heart of God. And somehow I wouldn't just be up on theology or just academically know the Bible or, or biblical trivia. What would be going on in my life would be the throbbing heart of God would be throbbing through me. And, and how he feels is how I feel. And what he wants is what, what I want. And his perspective is my perspective. Now you can understand then in chapter 5 verse 20 where we went last night, the pivotal issue in this whole chapter seems to revolve around that verse 20. Because he turns to them and says, hey, everything I've told you in the premise bringing you up to this moment is to tell you that this is going to kick us into a righteousness that's, whoa, beyond. It exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. I wish you could see this in the original language because the word exceeds is there twice. Like it's, it's a double kick, it's, it's a double emphasis, it's very emphatic. I'm telling you, the righteousness that you're going to move into, this whole new covenant, this merger thing, is going to take us to such a new level. It's going to exceed, abundantly exceed anything the Old Testament righteousness, Pharisee, Pharisaical thing could ever experience. It's, oh. He says, I know you didn't get that, so I want to give you some illustrations. And the first one is this murder thing that we talked about last night. Again, the old timer said, hey, I, I got this anger inside. Don't know what to do with it, except you got to put a lid on it. You can't express and do everything you want to do. So I put a lid on it, clamp it down, man, take a cold shower, get it under control. I'm going to draw a line. I'm not going to kill you. It's the best I can do. I won't kill you. I hate your guts, but I won't kill you. I despise you. Don't want to be around you. Don't want to talk to you. Not going to help you. I'll get the, new, the, the, the morning newspaper every day and read the obituary hoping your name is there. But hey, I'm not, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. I won't do it. I'm drawing a line. I won't go over that line. And Jesus said, 
hey, what I'm into, what this new level is into, it's not the elimination of murder, it's the elimination of anger. I'm not talking about managing your anger, I'm not talking about eliminating it. And come on, immediately again, as we said last night, my, my insides cry out and say, that's impossible! Everybody gets... I can't help it, I'm driving along and you cut me off and I just... You tailgate me and I just feel like jamming on my brakes. I, I can't help that. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, see, I've just proved his point. I'm helpless. See, I cannot, I cannot. But what he's proposing to us, do you think there's a possibility that the cross is bigger than maybe we imagined? Could you, could you visualize that while we've sung about the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and he cleanses me and all of, the, all of the words and we cross ourselves and we count beads and we do all this stuff, but could you imagine that maybe there's stuff going on in the redemptive process of God and this business of Jesus dying and, and going to hell for us and literally tearing up hell in the grave and, and this transition that took place within him that created this, this, this redemption thing, that it is so big that it paved the way for this God to literally come and live in this boy and could do something so deep within my life that, wow, could I be what I can't be? Could I live like I can't live? Could I act like I can't act? Is this possible? That maybe this is way beyond my disciplines and, and, and my, my earning and, and my getting it done and my slapping my hand and my biting my lip and, and my trying to get my life under control. Maybe this is, way, maybe this is an encounter with God. And again, we, I think I told you, C.S. Lewis said, this is so radical, ladies and gentlemen, that it's as radical as a stone statue Becoming a living person. This encounter, this, this, this merger, this... Whoa. Maybe, maybe there's something bigger here than what we've considered. Now, if you think that was bad, let's, let's move to 27. You have heard... Look at it, chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not... Commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Now the old timer looked at his life and said, hey, I got appetites. I admit that. I get physical appetites. I admit that. I want to eat too much. I, I, hey, I got a sexual appetite. And hey, it's one appetite among a lot of appetites. I got that. And it's just one thing over here in the corner that I got to deal with. A sexual appetite. And hey, you got to get it under control as you have to get all appetites under your control. You can't just let appetites take over your life. For instance, I like chocolate. But you can't eat too much chocolate. If you do, your face breaks out and you get a bellyache. So you've got to get the thing under control. 
And I understand I've got a sexual drive. It's an appetite of the body. It's over here in the corner of my life. And it's one aspect of my living. And you've got to control the thing. For the sake of family, for the sake of wife, for the sake of kids, for the sake of the community, for the sake of religion, for, the, for my own sake. You've got to put a lid on this thing. You've got to discipline yourself. Take a cold shower. Get yourself under control, boy. So I'm going to take my sexual drive and I'm going, to, I'm going to corral it and I'm going to bring it under control and I'm going to draw a line. And what's the line? I'm not going to cheat on my wife. I'm telling you, I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm telling you straight out, I'm not cheating on my wife. Besides, she'd kill me. But I'm not cheating on my wife. Because she hasn't read the first illustration. But I'm not cheating on my wife. Now, I want to cheat on my wife, but I'm not going to. I have emotional affairs. But hey, we don't do anything physically. Hey, I think about, but hey, there's some pornography going on, but... This is just one. Look at what Jesus says. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you know what the pivotal issue of that statement is? In his heart. Do you know that's the only time in the six illustrations he brings up the heart? Well, what's the heart thing? The heart thing is used, the, the, the Greek word for heart, cardia, is used 157 times in the New Testament. And it never, ever, ever, not one time, ever refers to the blood bumper. So see, what he's really talking about in the heart, in the sexuality idea, what he's really talking about is what's down at the core of you. Well, that's the same thing as the spirit. We started with that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, spirit. Could it be that the spirit and the heart are the same thing? Could it be that what we're talking about is I slice you down the middle, I crack you open, I go to the core of what makes you exist, I go to the core of what forms you, your perspective, how you view things, your attitude, the way you operate, and where does that come from? It comes from the depth internal of your heart. In fact, he brings up the subject in verse 28 of Look, whoever looks, which is about perspective. So where does your perspective come from? It comes from the heart. And at the heart level, he says, that the sexual appetite is not one sexuality, folks. It's not a little deal, over, not a little appetite over here in the corner of your life. Sexuality is at the core of your existence. Now process this. Let me state that again. We're not talking, hey, the old timer said it's just a little animal deal over here in the corner of my life. Jesus says, no, it's not. Your sexuality is at the very core of your existence. In fact, it's so, so at the heart level of your being, it literally infiltrates and moves through every single aspect of your life. And your whole life is dominated by your sexuality. Oh, 
I try to find one aspect of my life that isn't affected by my masculinity. I can't find one. Do you know that in everything God created, he created male and female? Do you know he plastered that thing everywhere? That there is no creation outside of male and female. That he has put at the heart of my being my masculinity, my sexuality. And that it literally affects my whole, hey, from the whiskers on my chin to the way I think. See, I don't walk like my wife. We'll be in a mall. I'll be walking along. She'll say, uh, she'll be 10 paces behind. I say, come on. Come on. What's the problem? Masculinity, femininity. She's not like I am. See, her method of handling problems is altogether different than mine. She has a problem. She sits down and cries about it. I say, get a hammer and hit it. See, she doesn't drive like I drive. In fact, she's always on my neck about my driving. Why? Because I drive in a masculine way. I'm manly and I just can't help it. What am I? Hey, I can't. Hey, the way I dress is determined by the sexuality. Every, every, the way I fix my hair, everything about my life seems to come back to this masculinity, this, this femininity, masculinity. My wife, and I know you can go to Matthew chapter 22, and they're trying to trick Jesus. It's a whole chapter. It's the last really public day of his ministry because he's going to move into the Garden of Gethsemane and the whole cross thing. And on that last day, they're just after him with all kinds of trick questions. And they throw this trick questions, the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, throw this trick question in about the guy who married this gal and he died. And, and uh, then by Jewish law, she had to marry his brother and she did and he died. And then they had to marry the next brother and she did and he died. And the next one, and she had seven of those boys and they all died. And then she died, which is not surprising. <laughs> After seven of them. Anyhow, they're all dead now. And now they're in heaven. Whose husband will she be? Whose wife will she be? And Jesus said in that passage, that passage, folks, come on. I know you've read it. And, and he talked about marriage in that passage. But you understand, the passage is not about marriage. It's, it's not about sexuality. It's not about whether there's going to be marriage in heaven or not. He... He, it's the only place that he even mentions that, and you're going to base a whole doctrine on that one? So you're not going to convince me that there isn't marriage in heaven. You're not going to convince me that biblically my wife is going to die and she's going to go to heaven, and, and the minute she steps through the pearly gates, all her femininity is going to be removed. Good night. Who would she be? Femininity so designs her, so defines her. So if you'd remove that. See, I'm not buying that. So what I'm trying to say to you, what he's saying in the passage is, folks, this is not about, we're not dealing with the little issue over here in the corner, get your appetites under control. We're not, we're not dealing with that. We're dealing with something that's at the very heart of your being, which is so strong 
Your sexuality, your masculinity, your femininity is so strong in your life that it literally defines, it literally, it literally, it literally gives you your perspective, how you view things. Isn't it interesting that sexuality dominates the visible world? It was 1953. The first edition of Playboy magazine came out. Playboy magazine today is worth $4.9 million. And it's all based on what? Visual. Sex.com. Just a domain. Go online, type sex.com. No content. We're not talking content. We're talking just the right to own the domain, just to have the name, just the right to own the name is worth $65 million. <laughs> Do you realize that 28,258 people watch pornography every single second? Did you know that every 39 minutes, a new pornographic video is produced? And you can say, oh, manly, that's that big bad world out there. You're right. Well, it was interesting that Promise Keepers in its, in its strength, with all these men gathered together, they took these surveys, and they found out that 53% of the men claiming Christianity watched or looked at pornography every week. That 45% of Christian homes say the major problem in our home is Pornography, visual, looking. Hey, I sit down and watch TV, and this advertisement comes on, and they're advertising hemorrhoid medicine. <laughs> hemorrhoid medicine, yeah. But you see, she's so beautiful, and it's, oh, the voice is so sensual, and the music is. I get, I'm getting up out of my seat going to buy hemorrhoid medicine. Man, why? Because they're appealing to my, which is at the heart of my, to sell me. Fashion dress is not determined by comfort. It's determined by sexuality, visual, what looks good. I came into the living room one afternoon. My wife was watching this, and it's on all day. And I don't know, she just keeps it on all day. I don't know why, but it's, it's a cooking, the cooking channel. She never cooks any of this stuff. <laughs> don't call her. Don't call her. Good night. <laughs> Anyhow, she was watching this cooking thing. And uh, they had this contest. It was a, it was a dessert contest thing. And, uh, and it were two people. And uh, they had a certain amount of time to put the thing together. And then this guy won. And the reason he won 
this dessert thing is he made this little cake thing and then on top of that he put this little and then on top of that he had this and then he had this and then he had this and it was so sensual. How did it taste? Nobody cares. It just looks good. Visual. I got intrigued. I went back to... Uh, the first temptation. You know what the first temptation was about? Sure you do. The apple thing. Here's Adam and Eve. They're having this conversation with the devil. And let me just, let me read this to you. And the devil looked at Eve and said, what about the tree thing? And Eve said, well, we can't eat of that tree. Lest we die. Here's what the devil said. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes eyes will be opened. Perspective. The very next verse, listen to this, the very next verse. So when the woman saw that the tree was good, saw, saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the Eyes. She picked. And what was the result of that? Very next verse, listen to this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Now they'd been naked all the time. They didn't know it. What happened to them? Perspective changed. The way they saw things changed. That at the core of their life, their sexuality was altered in its perspective. So the way they viewed everything suddenly became different. Have you ever wondered why God didn't just come along and say, Oh boy, you guys picked that apple, didn't you? Good night. Why did you do that? Listen, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. I'll recreate it. Psst, now it's back on the tree. And we'll act like it didn't happen. Why didn't God do that? Because that didn't change anything. See, man had changed in his perspective. Man had changed in the inner core of his life. Man had changed in the way he saw things. The way he looked at things became different. I had an awful problem coming up here uh, from Tennessee. I was about halfway here, and I pulled into a filling station and filled up my tank. And then when I got in my car, the crazy thing was stuck in reverse. I couldn't get it out of reverse. And I didn't know what to do, so I backed all the way here. It was awful. <laughs> and uh, I've been working on it all week, by the way. And I've done several things. I changed the spark plugs, and I put in new lines, and I, I changed the oil, and... Uh, I noticed coming over here, I had to back all the way over here. Uh, it's not fixed yet. Why? Because, folks, it's not a spark plug problem. It's a transmission problem. Well, can God forgive me for picking the fruit? Yes. The Bible is full of that. There is forgiveness, Jesus said. There is forgiveness for all sin. Woo! Isn't that good news? You can't do anything that God won't forgive. All sins are forgivable. He stated that. Jesus said that. 
So then forgiveness, folks, is no problem. Contained within the cross is this abundant resource of forgiveness. So be, be encouraged. Guilt, no longer. Forgiveness, abundance. There's no reason. Hey, wow. You're, you can be totally, absolutely forgiven. But it doesn't solve the problem. Because <laughs> it's not a forgiveness problem. It's a transmission problem. See, at the core of my life, my perspective is wrong. At the core of my life, I see things wrong. I view them wrong. It's not the way it is. My perspective, the way I look at things, is all messed up. See, that's the passage. Would you look at this again with me? This is verse 28. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the way I've been taught that this passage, what this passage says is that I'm walking down the street and I look at this woman. Didn't mean to. But she's very attractive and, oh, brother. I just lusted. Now I've committed adultery in my heart. That's, that's not what he's saying. This is not a, see, the Sermon on the Mount. Calm down, Manly. I'm sorry. I'm really hot about this. Uh, see, this, this, this Sermon on the Mount is not a new list of rules. And we said the other night, if this is a new rule, don't look at women. How are you going to pull that off? They're everywhere. See, I don't have a chance on that. Well, what's the problem then? What's he saying? He's saying, when you look at a woman, you lust for her. Why? Because in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So adultery exists at the core. Your perspective is off. So when you view and your sexuality is twisted, and because at the heart level, something's wrong in your perspective, you view, you view womanhood. Did you ever wonder what makes a dirty joke funny? You know that there are people in the world who don't think dirty jokes are funny. And you can tell a dirty joke and they're repulsed by it. In fact, if you want to try that out, next Sunday morning when your pastor's preaching, jump up in the middle of his sermon, tell a dirty joke and see how many people laugh. Well, what makes a dirty joke funny? Well, the punchline. No, it isn't. It's your perspective. Here's a young couple that's just lost their new baby. Whack them on the back and tell a dead baby joke. They're not going to laugh. Here's a lady who's nursed her husband for 10 years and watched him wither away with cancer. Whack, him, whack her on the back, tell her a cancer joke, and see if she laughs. Why is it that I laugh at a dirty joke? Because my perspective is at the core of my life. Do you get this? See, this is not about a little deal back here in the corner. Got to keep it under control. 
This is about something at the core of my life that literally, literally influences. Wife and I had been married about five years. And uh, I came home one day and I said, uh, Honey, I, I found a 1938 Chevy. It was old then. I mean, that was, it was an old car then. But I said, I found a 1938 Chevy. I want to buy it. Oh, I was so excited. And you know what she said? No. I said, no, I, wa I want to buy that car. She said, no. I said, well, why, can't, why, why not? Why, why, I want to buy the car. She said, no. And I'll tell you why. You don't need the car, and we don't have the money. And you know what I did? Oh, I reared my shoulders back, brother. I looked her right in the eye and said, I got to buy that car now, whether I want to or not, just to show you who's boss. Wasn't that stupid? Where'd that come from? What was that all about? That's what he's talking about. You thought he was talking about lusting after a woman? That's what he's talking about. There's something inside of me. You're not gonna! It shows up in the way we walk. We had a guy in our church that walks like this. One guy said he even struts when he, he even struts when he sits. <laughs> the guy is so full of himself, but you can understand if I'm helpless and I won't embrace my helplessness, you know what happens? I have to use every situation to exert. So my self-centeredness spills into my relationship, spills into the whether I'm going to buy a car or not, spills into how I handle my wife, spills into how I look at women, spills into my business, spills into... Because my perspective is wrong. Oh, Manly, uh, what do you think we ought to do about homosexuality? I don't. I don't have a clue. The whole gay movement, what, what? I don't know. What about the guy who thinks he's a girl? I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Do you know that Vanderbilt, the largest hospital, one of the largest hospitals in the country, which is in Nashville, has dedicated, has remodeled and dedicated an entire wing to transgenders Operations, counseling, and the insurance is going to pay for the whole thing. What are you going to do with that, Manly? I don't know. I don't know. I only know this, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the problem. What's the problem? Down here at the core of my life, my perspective's wrong.
and it spilled into my identities and it spilled into my sexual activities and it spilled into I got to buy that car and it spilled into my angers and it spilled into and it spilled into and it all comes back to right here and oh I need oh I need to embrace my helplessness and say my God do you think that it's there's a possibility that God could literally come and he could invade the depth of my heart which literally is surrounded and made in out of sexuality and could literally infiltrate my life until my whole sexuality, the way I walk, the way I handle my relationships, the way I treat my wife, the tone in my voice, the way I look at women, women could all be through his eyes. Man, I got to have that. Well, we need an accountability group and ask the tough questions. And the final question is, did you look at pornography? Are you lying to me? And I'm not against accountability groups. Wow. But do you understand this? It's so much bigger than, wow. The drugs are not the problem. Do you understand? You can get rid of all the drugs in the country, man. And drug addiction wouldn't be gone. We'd lick frogs. We'd do something. <laughs> See, we would. We'd find... Because it isn't about drugs. It isn't about alcohol. It isn't... Well, what's it about? It's... I got a transmission problem, man. And I've been changing spark plugs and... Oh, Jesus. Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying to us exactly. And you can say anything you want to to us tonight. And I, and I don't know what our dear people are going to go away with after this is over. But Lord, could you communicate? Could we go away, shoulders straight, head up high, with a burn in our bones that we've got ourselves involved with a God who is so huge and so big and so deep in redemption that he can change the very core of my existence? And I can be the man you want me to be. And I can see women as you see them. And I can operate in a sexual world with your perspective. And my heart can be your heart. My mind can be your mind. God, I don't have to prove I'm a man anymore. And all the stuff I was taught, God, about, hey, suck it up, boy. Put duct tape on it and get on with it. All the stuff I was taught, God, about real men don't cry. God, forgive us for what we've taught our kids. 
Because we haven't taught them brokenness before you. We haven't taught them. We haven't taught them. Oh, the helplessness of the human life and the yielding to you that brings about a perspective that's so, that is the destiny of our being. So God, I'm standing before you tonight. What do you, what do you want to do with this boy tonight? What, do you, what needs to be changed in me, God? I'm sick of changing start, spark plugs and when I got a transmission problem. And I invite you again tonight, not in mercy, but with a bulldozer. Would you come to my life? Would you plow into me? Would you pull the rug out from under me? Would you, would you put me flat on my face? In my helplessness, could I find you in your fullness? Heads are bowed. Our altar's open. We may eventually, I don't know, things may change, culture may move. We may eventually do away with the altar. I don't know. I love the altar. And you know why I love the altar is because there's one thing that I've discovered. One thing, I've discovered that there's one thing that keeps me from coming to the altar. And it's the same thing that made me look at my wife and say, oh, I got to buy that car now. Whether I want to or not. It's the same thing that causes me to want to use women for my own pleasure. It's my transmission problem that won't let me bow, won't let me cry out. So I like the altar because see I can't go to the altar because then I'm telling my wife she's right and I can't, I can't admit that. See I like the altar because it it breaks me. It's a posture of, oh. It's a posture of helplessness. So, hey, I'm kneeling again. We'll just take a moment. You want to join? Lord, I need you. I confess I can't make it without you. There's times I try. 
I try to do it on my own, and Lord, when I try to do it on my own, it's, it's just a mess. Or I confess that there's been times in my life where I've, I've moved quicker than you wanted me to move, and there's been times in my life where I've moved slower than you wanted me to move. But Lord, I'm thankful for your grace, your forgiveness. But Lord, you don't want to just forgive me. You want to change me. You want to transform me from my innermost being. So Lord, I pray that you'll help me, that you'll help us. Not to be content with the status quo, not to be content with the ideal of forgiveness, but Lord, to strive for this transformation that you promised that Dr. Manley's been so faithful to talk about. To see like you see, to, to hear things like you hear things, to have your perspective. Lord, this isn't um, a problem with our circumstances. This is a problem with our perspective. We see things wrong. So, Lord, right now, we confess we need you. More than anything else, we need you. We can't do this on our own, but, Lord, we need you. Lord, I pray that um, as we've heard these things this week, that we'll continue to think on them. We'll be reminded, Lord, as, as we're tempted or as we begin to have a wrong perspective, that the real issue is not what we're necessarily doing, but the, the flawed perspective, the flawed inner person. And Lord, we'll allow those moments to be convicting moments where your spirit can begin to reveal to us who we are, what we really are made of, and allow your spirit to begin to just transform us from the inside out. Lord, we believe. We believe that when Jesus came and died, he didn't just die to save us in our sins and leave us where we were, but he came to infill us with his spirit to transform us and change us. That, that when Paul promises that the, the power of the resurrection, the power, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is meant to be alive in us, that means that it changes us. As it changes us, as it changes us as individuals, it changes this community of believers. We truly become the resurrected church, alive in this community, showing Jesus in a way that's not possible on our own. Not by what we do, but by who we are. So, Lord, right now, that's what we want. That's what we hunger for. We hunger, hunger, Lord, for a revival of your spirit alive in us, alive in our church, alive in our homes, alive in our neighborhoods, so that people see the way we live our lives. And we become image bearers that demonstrate the glory of our God. Now, Lord, we give you thanks for this week, this opportunity to gather in your house and, and hear your word and, and, and enjoy times together and enjoy the, the words of an evangelist and enjoy worshiping together. Lord, thank you for those moments. But Lord, may those moments extend beyond these walls into our homes, into our neighborhoods. May it not just be an event that we went through, but Lord, may be, it truly be a transformational time in our life where our perspectives have shifted. Now, Lord, we give you the glory because all of this is through you and by you. 
It's not, it's not by our strength. It's not by anything that we do, but it's by your spirit. And Lord, we will trust you and rely on you. Be with us as we leave this place, Lord. May your spirit continue to guide and convict and draw. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.